love only those who love you, why should you get credit for that? Even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good only to those who do good to you, why should you get credit? Even sinners do that much. And if you lend money only to those who can repay you, why should you get credit? Even sinners will lend to other sinners for a full return. Love your enemies. Do good to them. Lend to them without expecting to be repaid. Then your reward from heaven will be very great and you will truly be acting as children of the Most High for he is kind to those who are unthankful and wicked. And to cap it all off, you must be compassionate just as your father is compassionate. Kind of leads to itself that if you do actually follow those things, you may very well end up being poor. If you follow what he says in the next couple of recommendations. Someone asks for your jacket, you give them your shirt. Love your enemies. If your enemies ask for a loan, give them the money. Don't, don't expect any payment. It's just give, 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 give. Now, as I read that <clears throat> this week, um, who do you identify with in the first section, the blessings and the curses? When you hear the blessings, when you hear the curses, when you hear the poor, when you hear the wealthy, who do you identify with? For me, when I read it through, if I'm honest with you, I wouldn't necessarily consider myself as being rich. But I suppose considering yourself to be rich is relative. Who are you comparing yourself with? If I'm honest with you, I'm, most of the time I, I'm only looking at people that have more than me. I'm only comparing myself with people that have more. So as I thought about this a little bit, I did some digging on Google to see out so just to find out where I sort of stand in the order of things in, in the world. And I didn't particularly like what I found. Um, so I'll just share some of these statistics with you. It's all relative, really. If you made $1,500 last year, you are in the top 20% of the world's income earners. If you have sufficient food, decent clothes, live in a house or apartment and have a reasonably reliable means of transportation, you are among the top 15% of the world's wealthy. If you earn 25000 or more annually, you are in the top 10% of the world's income earners. If you have any money saved, if you have a hobby that requires some equipment, if you have a variety of clothes in your closet, two cars, then in brackets, in any condition, <laughs> and live in a home, you are in the top 5% of the world's wealthy. If you earn more than 50000 annually, you're in the top 1% of the world's income earners. If you have more than 500000 in assets, you are part of the richest 1% of the world. When I read through that, kind of made me sort of think, well, it's all relative, isn't it? Um, it's all relative who I spend my time comparing myself with and thinking, well, if 
the good life. That's the good life. Um, the good life is just out of reach. What Jesus is saying, I find, I find incredibly difficult. The poor, the hungry, and the sorrowful are blessed. And then he says that the rich, prosperous, full, merry are cursed. What in the world is he getting at? Is it true? In our translation, it says great sorrow awaits, but some translation it says cursed. It's kind of like, what are you talking about? The good life is this, that's the tough life. What's going on? What are you talking about? I think what Jesus is talking about has truth on two levels. On the one level, he is offering future hope. In one sense, he's saying, those of you that are poor, those of you that are hungry, those of you that are mourning, there is future hope. This world is not all there is. There is future hope. The kingdom of heaven is available to you, the poor, the destitute, the down and out, those that never, ever, ever have the opportunity to live the so-called good life. There is future hope. I offer it freely to you. You don't have to do anything. You don't have to have wealth. You don't have to have status. You don't have to have standing in this world. It is a free gift. I offer it to you. It is a future hope. Jesus went on about this time and time again in his teachings. He said, this world is passing away. A time will come when things will be made right. And he is offering future hope to these people. His audience, no doubt, would have been the sick, the poor, the hungry, They didn't have hope. They didn't have hope in achieving the good life. It was beyond their reach. Now, initially I get uncomfortable with this emphasis on future promises, future hope, heaven. Didn't Jesus come to talk about, well, the kingdom of heaven is both there but also now? Don't we have to make it here right now? But I suppose that's a little bit rich coming from me. Because my right now is good. This future hope, well, my, future, my current state isn't too bad. Um, my Christianity costs me nothing. I'm not persecuted. I'm not going to lose my job because I'm a Christian. It's not going to bring me sorrow. It costs me nothing. But if you go back and you look at the group of people that Jesus was talking to back then, if you converted to Christ, there was a good chance that you were going to become poor, that you were going to be sorrowful, and that you were going to be persecuted. That's what it cost. If you look at the early disciples of Jesus, the majority of them were killed for their faith. So his offerings of future hope were very real for them. But for me, I kind of miss it. The context changed cost me absolutely nothing got a question for you is this life right now the way it's meant to be is it the way it's meant to be is it okay imagine for a moment with me that this life is it 
That's it. This is all we've got. Like the John Lennon song. There's no heaven, there's no hell, there's just this. Imagine that for a second. Put aside your Christian faith for a second and imagine that with me. Essentially what that means, or what I'm saying is that after those stats that I've read to you, 80 to 90% of the world's population will never ever have the opportunity to achieve the so-called good life that I'm subscribing to, that society puts up as the good life. This is happiness. This is what it means to be blessed. This is it. You've arrived. If that's all it is, that's what it means. And Jesus is saying to those people, he's saying, this is not it. This isn't it. This is not the way the world's meant supposed to be. This is not how it's supposed to be. It's not fair. The world is not fair. What have I done to deserve to be born in Australia with access to material wealth? I've done nothing to deserve that. Nothing. And what have the people who have been displaced in Syria, what have they done to deserve that? Three million people, refugees, through no fault of their own. They've done nothing to deserve that. And Jesus is saying to the poor, to those who weep, blessed because the kingdom of God is yours. I offer it freely to you. You don't have to do anything for its entrance except grab onto it. It is yours. It will be given to you. Because life, this life that we live, is not fair. You just have to watch the news. It's not fair. But I believe that Jesus' teachings here in the Beatitude, he's not just talking about the future hope. He's talking about right now. His teachings are a clash of two kingdoms. A clash of ideals. There's the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God. Jesus was going on and on about this over and over again. The kingdom of God is here, but he was also saying the kingdom of God is a future reality. And it's the kingdom of God meets the kingdom of this world and they collide head on. And if I'm honest with you, I am blinded by the ideals of this world and what it teaches that I need in order to be happy and content and reach fulfillment. But, I had to ask myself this. How can wealth, merriment, fame, comfort, how can that be a curse? What is so wrong with that? They are the pinnacles of the good life. Doing what you want, when you want. Not having to struggle, not having to be hungry, not having to weep. Being protected from the world. How can they be the problem? Now... Don't get me wrong. Money, merriment, a good time and fame are not evils in and of themselves, I do not think. They are neutral. Let me just say that again. Money, merriment, fame, these are neutral things. They're not evil in and of themselves. If you look at the gospel, Jesus enjoyed a laugh and a good time just as much as the next. He went to a wedding. He turned water into wine. 
He went and went to parties and banquets and he got accused of being riffraff. He enjoyed the good things as much as the next person. I think the problem with these things and what Jesus is trying to get at with these things is it is what we ask of these things. And for those of us who it is readily available to, through no action of our own, it's right there for us, we ask fulfilment from these things. We ask peace from these things. We ask protection from these things. We ask security from these things. But these things aren't eternal. They come and they go and they pass away. And Jesus is saying, hey, look, there's a different way. The kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven, it's available to everyone. Everyone, not just 1%. The kingdom of God is available to everyone. And it's not money, it's not wealth, it's not fame. It's different. And it's available to all. Because he wanted everyone to experience the kingdom of God. And I believe it is both a future and a present reality. Yes, there is that future hope. But I also believe that the kingdom of God is right here, right now. And it brings peace and fulfillment for the rich and peace and fulfillment for the poor. All of us. Because it goes beyond materialistic things. And this comes up time and time again in the teachings of Jesus. And I just want to show you a parable now. Rather than read it, I've got a little cartoon. Because this is in Jesus' teachings over and over again. The kingdom of God. If you could just roll the... A man once gave a great banquet and invited a lot of guests... When the banquet was ready, he sent a servant to tell the guests, Everything is ready. Please come. One guest after another started making excuses. The first one said, I bought some land and I've got to look it over. Please excuse me. Another guest said, I bought five teams of oxen and I need to try them out. Please excuse me. Still another guest said, I've just gotten married and I can't be there. The servant told his master what happened. The master became so angry that he said, Go as fast as you can to every street and alley in town. Bring in everyone who is poor or crippled or blind or lame. When the servant returned, he said, Master, I've done what you told me, and there is still plenty of room for more people. His master then told him, Go out along the back roads and fence rows and make people come in so that my house will be full. Not one of the guests I first invited will even get a bite of my food. idea comes up time and time again and I think what Jesus is trying to get at here is that sometimes the good can get in the way of the great the good life can get in the way 
of the better life. I just want to ask you, who here has ever been full, but yet still hungry? Whoever here has reached a savings goal, or made a purchase, or achieved something, but yet still felt poor? Jesus is saying, he's trying to say, hey, don't miss out on the best because you're too preoccupied with the good. I suppose it comes down to, do you believe that Jesus, a relationship with God, with his spirit, is the best thing that you can experience? I'm not talking future reality here, I'm talking right now. Because Jesus is saying in his teachings that, that that's it, that's the pinnacle. My presence and a relationship with me and living out the kingdom now is the good life. And like that parable says, sometimes, I, sometimes I'm so preoccupied with the good life, I have no time for the better life. And in his Beatitudes here where he's saying, blessed are the poor, blessed are those who weep, basically blessed are those who li- whose lives have fallen apart, the good life is standing there before them in ashes, they've got nothing left, <coughs> blessed because they can grab it because they've got nothing else to grab. I'm too busy with my hand in the cookie jar, grabbing at everything else. And he says, because of that, I'm cursed, because I'm too preoccupied. It's like I'm chasing a carrot on a stick, hoping for fulfillment in the good life. Um, So he's saying here that the down and out, their posture is open to grace. Desperation. Theirs is one of desperation, dissatisfaction, satisfaction and sorrow and he says that is the posture for you to accept grace and this invitation to god's kingdom is not based on status it's not based on wealth all are welcome it's not for the one percent it's for the hundred percent like this parable shows um and i don't think the kingdom of god is too preoccupied with wealth or fame or status Um, And if you want to know what Jesus' good life is, if you want to know what the kingdom of God is, after Jesus presents his paradoxical blessings and curses, he starts to unpack it. He starts to unpack what it means to live life to the full. He unpacks what it means to lose your life, but in the process, gain your life. If I'm honest with you, it scares me a lot. He says things like this. If you will listen, he says, bless those who curse you. I just want you to really listen to this. Because this is, I've struggled with this this week. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who hurt you. If someone slaps you on the cheek, offer the other cheek also. If someone demands your coat, offer your shirt. Love your enemies. Do good to them. Lend to them without expecting to be repaid. And then he ends with, be compassionate just as your father is compassionate. Really? When I read that, 
When I read those ideals, when I read those Beatitudes of Jesus, I am on the one hand inspired and I'm on the other hand broken and I feel incredibly poor and I feel sorrowful because Jesus takes the bar and he raises it. It's no longer just about dietary requirements or religious rituals or keeping the Sabbath. It's about love. And Jesus right here unpacks what it means to love in explicit terms. And that leaves me dreadfully short. Because my natural reaction... When I turn on the news and I see the stuff that happens and I see what people do, my natural reaction is, get them. Those, But here I read, bless those who curse you, pray for those who hurt you. If someone slaps you you on the cheek, offer the other cheek also. I'm bankrupt. That ain't how I naturally respond. So, these are the ideals of the kingdom of God. Jesus takes the bar and he raises it. And I fall dreadfully short. And if this is what acceptance into the kingdom of God is, I am in trouble. Because I'm chasing after wealth more than I'm chasing after poverty. I'm chasing after laughter more than I'm chasing after sorrow. When Jesus... When Jesus' disciples heard him talk about this stuff, when he talked to the rich young ruler, they said, who can enter? Who's going to get in, Lord? Who can enter? This is impossible. And you know what he said? With man this is impossible, but nothing is impossible with God. You see, after looking at this this week, I believe that these ideals describe God. This is what God is like. Essentially, this Sermon on the Mount is a sermon for Jesus. He didn't preach anything that he didn't have to live out himself. The reason I can't walk away from Christianity, the reason reason I can't walk away from Christianity is because I can't walk away from Jesus. He became poor. He was persecuted. He was overcome with sorrow. He prayed for his enemies. And he ultimately laid down his life in an act of complete love. He didn't hold to his own life. He poured it out like a sacrifice. What is the thing that you are drawn to in Jesus? What are you drawn to? He is the hero. He is the hero that sacrifices it all for you. He lets go of himself. Fame, notoriety, prosperity, happiness, comfort. He lets go of all of that. He puts it all aside. Because you are worth it. He wants you. He wants to catch your attention. He loves you. He loves humanity. And he knows that if we continue to live out the kingdom of this world in this place... We are going to be screwed. And he's trying to enter, he's trying to bring in the kingdom of God. And it smacks you in the face. 
because I come up dreadfully short. The Sermon on the Mount is the Sermon of Jesus' life. It's what he is like. And I thank God that my acceptance into this kingdom is not the fulfilment of this. Because this is humanly impossible. And I will come up short. And I thank God that he has sent his son as an example and a sacrifice. As an atonement for me to stand in my place. If I could just get the band to come up. But I don't know, like after look, I don't know, this is, doing this has really challenged my life, my perception of the good life, the little track that I'm on. It's really rattled me. Um, And my prayer for myself and my and, and the hope for myself is that through the indwelling of the spirit he can change my attitudes he can change my perceptions because the world's idea of the good life has really taken a hold in me and that's why when I opened this and read this, it was just like, what, what is this? Because it's so pervasive and it gets into everything. And Jesus' good life is different. It's about love. It's about pouring yourself out. It's about not protecting yourself. It's about love for enemies. When has evil ever overcome evil? When has revenge ever vanquished hate? Hey? So my prayer for myself and my prayer for us is that through the Spirit of God, which is available to us through Jesus, His example, His life, His death, that it dwells in us. And we start to live this. Not out of a hope to be accepted, because we already are. But out of a hope that we can change things. That is my prayer. Just like to bow your heads, I'll just finish with prayer. Dear God, I just pray that you fill us with your spirit. Fill us with your love. Teach us another way. Your way is eternal. Your kingdom is eternal. It it has always been there and it always will be there. Teach us how to invest in this, Lord. Teach us how to invest in others. Help us to store up treasures in heaven. Treasures in heaven. The, The kingdom of heaven is love. Love for each other. I just pray these things in Jesus' name.